the mission of grass-fed exchange is to humbly exchange the knowledge of the gifts we are given to awaken the health of both land and people. We went through a new scrub of that mission statement that we'd had previously. And so this is the one that we came up with as an advisory board and a board to humbly exchange knowledge of the gifts we are given to awaken the health of both land and people. And tonight our participants are two people who will humbly share with you what they've gained through their lifetime experience. So we have Kimberly Ratcliffe. I met Kimberly at a women in ranching conference about two years ago. We were panelists uh, and I was the old woman on the panel. I'm always the old woman on the panel, but, and what I, and I wouldn't trade my time and growing up in those hippie years for anything. I wouldn't trade any of that. But what I do get a little envious about now is seeing this generation that Kimberly's coming from and the opportunities and the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that they have. And so that's where I first met Kimberly. Kimberly is going to tell you her story here in just a minute, but uh, she, at this point in time, she's in East Texas on her family farm and ranch. And I'm going to let, I'm not going to just spill out a whole lot. If she doesn't tell the story, I'll tell some more about her background and, and what she's done. So I'm really excited to have Kimberly Ratcliffe with us. I just got to meet Dugan Bad Warrior about three weeks ago. And I'm already impressed with what he's had to tell us in terms of what he's learned from the workshops that he's gone to, how he's applying it right now to his ranch that's on the, on the reservation that, that where he lives. And he's going to tell you that too. So again, I'm not gonna jump in there and, and steal his story. We wanna hear their stories. So we're gonna start out with each one of them, uh, just sharing a little bit. And as our guests and participants in this meeting, if you have questions, please put them in the chat or in the Q&A, and we will respond to them. So I'm looking forward to a really good night, a good conversation, a good hallway conversation. So um, Kimberly, you wanna go first? Sure, sure thing. Thank you for that. Um, like, she, like Deborah said, I am located in East Texas in a little town called Oakwood, Texas. Like many other people probably on here, town that plays six-man football. You can't even make a complete football team. But it is great to be in this community. But prior to coming home here in East Texas, I actually worked for a financial information company in New York. Um, I moved a lot when I was growing up. My dad worked for IBM and back then it's been IBM moved. So we definitely moved every year to two years. So we've always had an operation in Texas. But our last stopping ground was New York. And when I graduated from high school, I really thought I wanted to be a city girl. I'm not gonna lie thought New York City was everything it should be. You know, you have everything there. And it wasn't until my dad retired himself and he bought a couple thousand acres in East Texas. And having those daily conversations with my dad, realizing that New York really wasn't where the core of this world is, I say. The core of the world was really back home with my parents. So one day I decided that I was gonna resign from my job. And when I resigned from my job, my parents were a little shocked because they just didn't think I would do that. I resigned from my job and I went through school at Texas Christian University. And then I came back home. And one thing I decided when I came back home is I realized I made the decision to come home. And I wanted to make sure that this ranch stays for generations. And what did I have to do to make sure this ranch was generational? There's steps we have to do if we come back home to make sure it's generational. The first step of course was to make sure my parents locked it in so that we wouldn't sell it. So that was the first step. The next step was to look at our, our whole infrastructure and decide how are we making money and what are we not making money in? And how can I make sure I never go back to corporate? So there's steps I have to do to make sure I don't go back to corporate. And a lot of that was adding different enterprises to the operation. Here at the operation, we raised Charbray cattle, and I should backtrack a little bit. When my parents bought this operation in 2000, they bought it what I call turnkey. They bought it with everything here. I tell people sometimes up to the furniture in the house they bought it with. So when we bought this operation, the Charbray cattle came with it, and we love it. We learned to just love the Charbray cattle. We really are the only producer in the United States that pr produced registered Charbray cattle. So that is our bread and butter. Um, we definitely um, enjoy breeding them and we definitely enjoyed going to shows across the United States, selling those breeds, not only in the United States, we sell them also in Australia and other countries. 
So we do have that. And we also have um, a hay operation that we previously were selling to a lot of the zoos locally. So we do that. And we have um, a silage, which everything is based on and that is our silage. Everything that we do here is based with our silage operation. Along with the silage operation, we also do a, quite a few stockers. Um, so we, we raise stockers and we have our own little feeding operation that we based our silage operation on. One thing I realized is that I did decide to come to the ranch and my brothers, I have two younger brothers. Yes, I'm the girl, the baby girl and the one that decided to come back to the ranch. My two older brothers really aren't connected to the ranch as much, but it is important that we do have that connection here. So my brothers love to eat meat. They love to give away our meat. So together we decided we were gonna open a meat company, just the siblings. And this I honestly can say has brought us as siblings together more than I thought it would. We talk daily, we do everything together daily. So we now sell our meat in several operations, several steaks, we have our own website, and we also have our own feeding operation here. Um, the other thing is when we, when I did decide to come home, one thing that happened is um, my dad brought me in one time with a bunch of his friends and they all were retiring. They all were going um, back to their family ranch. And I'll be honest, they all looked like me and they all looked like my dad. They all were graduates from historically black schools and they were fearful to go back to the ranch. They weren't sure on how the ranch was going to be operated. So they all came to me and they said, Kim, you just got this big degree. Come back and help us out. And I said, no, that's not really my job. That's the one thing they taught me when I was in my when I was leaving school. It's very difficult to remember everything in school, but you have the resources to go and research for it. I said, so we, guess what? We all are resources here. So we all are going to depend on each other. And we're all gonna use each other and we're all gonna learn from each other. So we started a nonprofit called 100 Ranchers. And that 100 Ranchers now, it's much bigger. We have a lot of corporate sponsors. I'll be honest, we got a big corporate sponsor this week from Cargill. Cargill's being a huge corporate sponsor with us, Cargill and Pepsi. We also do a lot of universities, including Texas A&M and Prairie View. And the basis of this is to bring a lot of the minority producers together in a, in a setting that I'll be honest, that they feel a little more comfortable in. Sometimes they feel out of place in certain areas just because they feel like they're not quite as knowledgeable as some of the other people in the room and allows them to kind of learn from each other. That is definitely one of my, lo my loves and something I love to do every day and daily. But in general, one thing I do love to do is, is do programs like this and tell my story. I think it's so important that we all tell our story, even the ones that are here participating in this. If there's any way you can get out there and tell your story and let people know, because it's believe it or not, we have a lot of commonalities and we need to start working on those commonalities. That's really what the 100 Ranchers is based on. And I really believe that's what these conversations are based on. And I think these are great conversations to have and I'm excited to continue this. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Do you go by Kim or Kimberly or both? Everyone comes out. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Good, good, and good. Okay. Thank you. We'll come back right back to you. Dugan, you're muted, but can you unmute? And uh, yes, can you tell us your story, please? Sure. Uh, good evening, uh, Dugan Badwayer. My wife's sitting right over here. Um, I, uh, we, uh, I'm just going to kind of read a little introduction. Uh, Zuyashita Ranch is a 350 head cow calf operation run by my family on 8,800 acres of tribal land in Zebot County, South Dakota, on the Shine River Indian Reservation. Um, when me and my wife got together, she asked me what was my dream, and and at that time it was a dream because minorities didn't have the opportunities. And I said I wanted to be a rancher. I've always wanted to be a rancher. So. And uh, we started in 2007, we, we uh, started with the FSA loan for 22 hit, you know, which uh, was the number they thought that we could handle. You know, 22 hit was not enough for 8,800 acres. So in 2008, we approached private lenders to borrow for 250 head and we were turned down everywhere we went. So we went back to FSA. Uh, FSA increased our cattle loan to their limit of 300,000. You know, we got our numbers up to 130 under half of our year-round carrying capacity. Uh, 
they put our note in a supervised account. Every check for feed vet, everything had to be co-signed by a federal officer 35 miles away. This did not set us up for success. Ranching, oops, what did I do? Can you guys still hear me? We sure can. Yeah, okay. Okay. Whatever here. On the bottom bar, on the other side is white. Okay. White camera. Sorry, I, I've lost you guys. So, anyways, uh, ranching uh, was supposed to make us independent, but ranching this way put us in a cycle of burdensome FSA forms, sale barns, good years, bad years, never paying ourselves and always needing off-farm income to make it. I did this for the next eight years while growing to 200 cow-calf pairs. One year was good, but most years was a struggle. In 2013, my wife dragged me kicking and screaming to the Savory Institute Conference. I started to see there, there were other ways to ranch that could not only make our ranch more profitable, but can improve and restore the land as well. I started to read as many things as I could about stockmanship, herd health, and grazing management. But it wasn't until the fall of 2016 when the market prices fell, half of the prior year prices that I had my eyes opened. Uh, we couldn't make our payments, had to defer some of our restructure and restructure our loans with the FSA. After the markets fell in 2006, we knew we couldn't keep ranching as some kind of hobby. We had to make the operation a profitable business that could stand on its own pay us and support our family. So in 2017, I attended the Ranch Profit School. This started my paradigm shift about ranching and the regenerative of ranching. Ranch Profit gave me the tools I needed to run my numbers, understand the economic side of my business the way the banker would. We redid our mission, vision, and values, goals, and logo. This was the first commercial, uh, this time the first commercial bank we went to approved our loan application and bought our, our FSA loans. The 400 cattle we bought gave us more leverage to pursue our vision, but the annual calf check is still spoken for by our new loan payments, leaving us unable to reinvest and respond to new market opportunities. <clears throat> After attending Ranch for Profit, I started looking for more grazing management practices that I could incorporate into the ranch. This led us to South Dakota Graz Grasslands Coalition Grazing School we attended in 2019. I joined their inaugural follow-up mentorship program and now a board member. <clears throat> While we were doing better due to the market and climate instability, we are not yet a, at a break-even point. It would, have, <clears throat> it would have made things easier in the beginning if we had been able to access capital earlier, if federal lending programs had been less uh, restrictive, and if we had been able to learn real economic management and regenerative ranching practices from the start. Uh, I would like to conclude by reading you the, the Zuya Shicha Ranch vision and mission and would entertain questions. Uh, the, the, uh, the Zuya Shicha Ranch is a family-run diversified cow calf operation. Our multi-generational uh, ranch is centered around healthy land, healthy animals, and a healthy family. We utilize strong planning and management and financial systems and technological innovations to build a product that our customers respect and come back for. Our operation is guided by our Lakota values. We give back to our tribal community by both sharing resources and being a model for change and excellence. Our vision for Zuya Shicha Ranch is to create philosophical or and management practice that will be successful for generations. We intend to demonstrate that creative change can bring success for, uh, and profit to our ranch. We understand that our communities are the backbone of our tribe and because of that, we strive to support our communities. Our mission is to utilize the land as the buffalo did for centuries by mimicking how the buffalo grazed the prairies and help promote a healthy ecosystem our ranch will accomplish the same effect using intensive grazing practices. By moving cows frequently and allowing the grass to rest and recover for extended periods, we will ensure our native grasslands health for years to come. So that was just a little thing I 
put together. So that's more than a little thing, Dugan. Oh, that sorry. Was a wealth of information. Yeah, it was more. No, I don't mean that. I mean that was valuable. That's nuggets. That's that's gold that you just read to us. That was good. It's interesting that both of you talked about generational. You want your in your businesses. You want the life pursuit that you've now taken on to go on for generations. Kimberly, why? What, what's why is that important? Um, for me, number one, I know my dad pretty much put everything he could into this. Okay. He worked all his life, all his career, and he pretty much put all his retirement into something that he wanted his family to have roots in. And um, because that's where his roots were. So he wanted to have his family in his roots. When we grew up, we always lived in rural America. We always had a cow. We always had a horse. We always had something. And I just, for me to know, I have an opportunity to say, hey, I'm someone like maybe when I'm not on this earth, but I'm looking down, someone saying, hey, I'm the fifth generation. I love hearing those stories. Number one, there's not too many families like that look like us here on the screen that say that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important. And what Dugan was saying before, just taking care of the land so it can reach that point is a huge priority more than anything. And um, it, I just, it just gives me goosebumps, honestly, when I talk about it all the time, just the idea of just having that historical marker on our ranch one day. And so when you, and I'm coming right back to you, Dugan, but I want to tie that generational, what you just talked about, to have that historical marker. You also spoke when you started about coming back to the ranch was the core of your world. Yeah. The core of your world. Can you, can you describe that a little bit more to us? Yeah. What that yeah. means? I think that it really became the core of my world when I, I worked for an information company at the time that was making a commodity platform. And I was dealing with a lot of different commodity traders trying to make a platform from them. And waking up and going into the office and talking to my parents, which I did a routine every day, talking on the phone with them and hearing what's going on in the market here on the ranch and them not understanding the market at all in the financial industry, they're just looking at figures and looking at all these equations on a screen it makes you realize the core is not there. <laughs> They're taking a product that we met, we have here. And I say this all the time when I speak, I realize that the world does not, the financial world is relying on us. And I wanna get to something that's relying on us. It's not connected to us, but it's relying on this core of this world right here where my parents are. So for me, it was that disconnect that made me realize the, where the core was. That disconnect between these other industries that don't understand the products that we make and what it's taking for us to make this product successful and make it one of the best products in the world. They don't understand that. And I wanna go to a point that's making that product than someone that doesn't understand the product. If that makes sense. Yeah, yes, it makes sense. Yeah. And Dugan, when you talked about that, you said multi-generation, generational, you used that, that visual image several times in your opening words. What does that mean to you? Well, I, I want to leave the possibilities for my children and grandchildren that I had a, just a dream of. And I want to be able to make it to where I want to leave a ranch that is profitable and sustainable for years and years to come so that my great, great grandchildren will have a better opportunity than I had where I didn't have to do the struggles and, and uh, the hardships, but to give them the opportunity to, to fulfill their goals or their dreams and whatever it might be, and it might not be in agriculture, but somebody with within our family is going to want to do what I'm doing, and so that's what I want because my grandfather did it, but he passed before I he could pass it down to me and my dad. So it it was a struggle for me to get back to where my grandpa was. So 
And I don't want that for my uh, children, grandchildren, and on down the line. So that that's, it, it means a lot. And, and the land, the land is one of the biggest things. I want to leave the land in condition to when our great, great, great grandfathers left it to us that, you know, that we've ruined it in these times. And I want to, and I want to take it back to where it was. And that's very important. And uh, that, that's, that's what our ranch means to us. Is it important for you for that ranch to stay on tribal lands? Yes and no. If we have a chance to, and the thing why I say no is the the people weren't restricted to the Cheyenne River Reservation. We had our, our where we roamed was uh, all the way into Canada, down to Oklahoma. To so, yeah. if I have an opportunity to grow, I'm not gonna. If I have that opportunity, I, I would try to capitalize on it. So Got it. Um, no, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation, but that's where we are making our living and, and, and love to be here. So, yeah. When you both look back, and this is just, this is a trite question, but, but I wanna ask you, what are the challenges? I mean, you, Kimberly, you've talked about being in a room with faces that look like yours. What are some of the challenges, and, and Dugan has talked about the, um, you didn't use this word, I'm going to use this word, but the profiling that took place when you tried to get your loans with FSA. So will either one of you or both talk about what some of those challenges have been? You want to go? Uh, go, from, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think my challenges are the challenges of a lot of, of minorities, and, I, and I'm just going to reflect this back to, to uh, my area and, and just to my uh, look to people on the Shiner uh, Sioux Reservation is we have to do more to try to get less mm. um, because of the profiling. Um, we have to show that we can, we have, we'll do more. So, like I said, when we first started out, it was it was a, a a struggle to get uh the tribe to lease us 8,800 acres in a lot of places of not being a minority somebody comes in with 8,800 acres to a bank they see opportunity they see boy what's the good opportunity here when it, when a minority comes in is we have to prove a lot more to try to get less to, to make that work. And like I said, I went to banks upon banks upon banks and them asking me, you know, well, if you had 250 cows, we, we would loan you money for 250 cows. I was like, if I had 250 cows, I won't be here asking for a loan, you know, at that time. So it, it was, it was a struggle to start. It was a struggle in the marketing. It was a, it still is a struggle in the marketing. So um, challenges to minorities is we, we could spend weeks right. talking about this. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'll just um, piggyback off of that. It's definitely when it comes to obtaining credit, it's pretty much the, the true challenge. And one thing I will say is the financial institution doesn't have a, um, a plan when it comes to minorities getting loans. When I say a plan, it's just they don't realize that our situation is different. Like, for example, there's, they don't have demographics in the system to understand the minority demographics and how do you loan to minority demographics? They have the demographics for everyone else, but when it comes to us, they don't understand that we might become from a lower income area, lower revenue area, I mean, that we don't have as much revenue as some of the other ones. So what is another way you can do a loan besides using revenue? They have to come up with equations that are not your traditional equations for minorities. Because we are, a lot of us are still getting into the business. And when you're getting into the business, you don't have a thousand acres to even put up for collateral. You don't have anything like that to put up for collateral. So there has to be a system that is made for us to really want to make a loan to us. And Kimberly, is that part of the work you're doing uh, on the USDA Advisory Committee for Minority Farmers and Ranchers? That is absolutely part of it. 
Um, we're looking at that. We're also looking at the air property. What is a way that we can really assist producers that have air situations? Um, we definitely are looking at any kind of civil case that might be out there. We don't personally look at them, but we kind of get a lot of complaints when it comes to the civil, civil cases that are out there. Um, we're, we're looking at the new, um, I don't know if you guys know, the new act that they're trying to implement that will actually start number one with air property. How can they put funding to help air property? Because honestly, I talk about air property a lot, but honestly, the minorities, a, thir a third of the minorities that have land are trapped in air property, which means they're not productive, which means we're not in productive agriculture. So unless those air properties, and I say air, not H-I-R, not H -I -R, H -E -I -R. so just so people know. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm going to get you to do. Thank you. Yeah. Because so, it kind of comes out like that when you're speaking. But when I that when you realize that that the majority of them we might have land, but we're not in agriculture land because it's so trapped in family dynamics. So that's a huge problem, and that needs to be resolved, and it needs to be assistant because it makes it very difficult with all the legal steps you have to take. Um, the other thing is that there's there was a lawsuit a long time ago when it, for black farmers and ranchers, and I don't think it did enough. So there now is another act to help um, kind of remove those situations because just giving $50,000 is not going to give someone's land back. It's not going to help them get back on their feet when they did not get the loan in the beginning. So they've already have been set back from not getting the loan the first time and $50,000 is not even getting them out of debt. So what are steps that you can do for farmers and ranchers like Dogan and like other people that have not been able to get those loans and when you don't get the loan, you get further debt and it just becomes a chain reaction and you're trying to give them $50,000 that they were supposed to get 15 years ago when it's now worth a lot more so it's not an equal equation. So there, there's an act trying to help eliminate that and help, I shouldn't say eliminate, to relieve some of that pressure. So that's really what needs to be happening and I'm hoping that it, it will happen soon. That, that is that justice for black farmers bill exactly. that was introduced by Senator Cory Booker. Okay, exactly. all right, great. So those of you that are listening, you may wanna look for that. It, it, uh, it's called the justice for black farmers bill. And uh, it's getting some support now by, by our legislators. Dugan, look, it sounds like you have something to add to that or to, to build on Kimberly's comments. Well, yeah, those are great comments. And then just for here, it. it like I said earlier, is is a lot of times uh, uh, Native American ranchers are um, uh, got a lot of land, but it, it's not it's in trust. So um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the the we don't have that ability to use it as collateral, and the banks the banks don't see that as an opportunity. So like I said, eight thousand eight hundred acres. Everybody look at that. Wow, man, what can I do with that? Yeah. Well, if I can't leverage that against anything, and a lot of native ranchers can't, that's a, a restriction that we have also. So, you know, uh, we might be land rich, but not really. You know, um, so I mean, there's there's just, and, and uh, the Native Americans also had a lawsuit against FSA and the the fifty thousand that that the black uh, farmers got, but that didn't heal a lot of people because. FSA at the time made a lot of ranchers close out. And in doing so, put a lot of families in, into more and more debt that they're still fighting to try to get out of. And with the struggles that we have, it's really hard. You know, so people think that, you know, having a lot of land and, and the access to land, yeah, it is, it's great, but you know, when we got limitations of what we can do with it, it's it's still a struggle. Okay, so we've talked about that that one of the challenges that, that, that you faced and that you know of others that have faced is this whole financial aspect. And then the way the land is treated, whether it's an air property or it's in trust, that's a constricting, uh, that's a constraint that you, you've had to work around or work within. What else? Is there anything else? I know in some of our conversation before that we've talked about, are there other things that you want to bring out on this in this talk about some of the constraints or challenges that you've faced? 
And Dugan, you mentioned you mentioned a piece of it about the marketing. I would say marketing is one big thing for, for uh, minorities in general, but- and, Can you and describe that? Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, when it comes down to it is, is in South Dakota, South Dakota is a big sale barn. Um, mainly you, you, it's really hard to sell off the place, especially in Western South Dakota, especially where a lot of the reservations are. So. When, when native ranchers come and with our limitations, and as you know, when you sell, load lot sell, and I really appreciate what Kimberly's doing with the 100, the, uh, 100 families, um, when you don't have the load lots, a lot of the native ranchers don't get sold until late at night on a big sale where a lot of the buyers are, are filled up or you know we get pushed down into the back, we're not in the prime time of sale, but also it's, it almost seems like we have to do more and we don't bring as much when we're at the sale barn. Um, the other part of marketing is, you know, it's really hard with the capital, but Kimberly made a good point when we visited three weeks ago that minorities aren't at the finishing stage of cattle production. And so that is really hard because we're still struggling to, to make payments or our, our debts and we're not able to take cattle to that stage of finishing. So our marketing is limited to, usually in South Dakota here, it's taking them to the sale barn in the fall and hope for a good sale. Instead of being able to capitalize on, on a lot of our, our unique situations of of how we like myself is changing into regenerative ag and how we are capitalizing on that, how we're, we're, we're trying to incorporate the seven W's of Lakota values into our ranch and how that is because I'm still in that cycle of just raising a calf and selling it either weaned or in the fall right off the mom and not able to market myself further down the line. Um, we are in a unique position right now. We're dabbing into it. We're, we're starting our own direct marketing and we're gonna small, start with a small handful. But it's taken us years and years to get there and struggles and struggles. And I think a lot more minorities would, would love to be in that position, but there's a lot of challenges and a lot of, a lot of uh, understanding markets there too. and and. So, I mean, there's, there's challenges upon challenges. Can, that, that's a great segue to Kimberly. Can you talk right. about the collaborative efforts that you've been working Absolutely. with? Kimberly? Absolutely. So um, I'm going back to sitting in the room again with a bunch of retirees <laughs> going back to the, to the ranch. And um, their main issue is how am I going to make money on that ranch operation? So um, myself and another um, neighboring ranch, um, we collaborated and we now sell a lot of these producers ranches together. There are criteria they have to have. For example, tomorrow we're selling a, a truckload of 550 weights. Right before I got on this call, um, I actually was sorting off my 550 weight steers. In the rain. Have, in the rain. That's why I'm looking like this, guys. <laughs> but it is what it is. But um, I... I um, I only had 20 550 weights right now, but when I'm putting it together with everyone else, we have a truckload. So it's one of those situations that my 20 is now really going to be valuable. Um, so I think this collaboration, and it's one of those things is we kind of get a feel of how many cattle everyone has in the operation, and then we go in and um, try to get some truckloads once or twice a month and sell them together and email a blast how you know we need 550 weights tell me how many and then we go from there but it it really has helped and i honestly just when you were talking about just learning the markets when it comes within the cattle industry because there's so many different markets and that is one reason and i don't mean to just spill out cargill that is one reason why we are partnering up with cargill because it is something the 100 ranchers we're actually partnering up with the black rose association 
but it is something that both when it comes to farming and cattle, we have those same issues and Cargill is a limiting factor. Cargill is, I shouldn't say a limiting factor because they might get mad if they hear this, but Cargill is one of the big, big companies. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it's how can a minority organization like the black farmers and the black rowers, how can we get a piece of that Cargill pie? and Cargill and realizing that it's an issue. And I think overall, beyond that, all of us have to realize that's an issue. How can we get a piece of the pie out of this industry to make us keep us, as we keep saying generational ranching, hopefully our kids will wanna come back to the ranch. All that is important to have those, have the future of operation. Okay, great, great. Yeah. Um, so we've talked, go ahead, Dugan. Sorry, a couple, I got a couple of questions and uh, uh, Sadie wanted me to um, uh, say more about the seven uh, values of Lakota. And what that is, 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 is um, there's seven words and they each mean something. Humble, respect, wisdom, truth, generosity, and prayer. And within them, under each one of them, we, we I'll just give you an example, like, well, <clears throat> well, being humble in, in our ranch, this value means that we work with nature and don't fight her. We calve in the nature um, in nature's time and leave the calf on the mom for a year, for 10 months to a year. We graze our high protein native grasses. We do not treat our cows with insecticides, hormones, and all natural living uh, produce as healthy, highest quality beef. So each one under each one of those, we, we tell how our ranch is with the Lakota values. So that's something that our panelists, our, uh, Sadie had asked. Okay. And that's how we, so that's what I'm saying is that's something I can market myself, but I, I don't have a product, just, just calves, right, at this point. And, and we're dabbing into the direct market here. So um, we're gonna hopefully tell our story and sell our story. Is that an opportunity for you? I mean, we we're talking about challenges. So is, is that an opportunity? I, I think it is an opportunity. And, and that's the way we're seeing it as a great opportunity to sell our story on the Zuya Shicha Ranch. Um, we just got to be able to get to that point of being able to have a product to, to sell our story. And until we're able to get there, we are still in the cycle of, of a, a lot of ranchers and just minority ranchers. It's a lot of ranchers. And, and we are in the process of switching to grass fed beef and, and hopefully finish. We have finished 10 beef this year and we're gonna direct market them here in the next month. So we're setting up a website to do that. And I'm hoping to be a change for, and show that native or minority ranchers can do this and have a story, story to tell. And by being a, hopefully a role model, I, I, and I don't say that it's, I'm not trying to do this to be a role model, but um, show people that if you work hard enough, you can, you can achieve these through the challenges. You, that was my very next question that I wanted to ask was, what do you see? What do you think? You said you wanted to be a role model. And so what, what is it that you want to pass on? What is it? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what is it that you want to provide as hope or something to hang your hat on? Or um, how do you see yourself doing that? And I want each of you to respond to that. What is your role in that next generation? What lessons do you want to impart? You want to go, Kimberly? Or? Sure. sure. <laughs> Tell me those who's Tag. first. Um, Tag. I think for me, number one, a minority woman in an industry in, in an industry like this, I get that question daily. Um, yeah. Someone that left a, a high-paying job, what is what what is the secret? And I, I just, for me, I think it's just leading by example. I know that sounds kind of like that out there, but I think for me, it's that simple. Um, I I kind of want to just leave it here that I have tried my hardest to make sure I leave this ranch in the best situation for the next generation. I've worked my tail off to make sure that soil health was good, 
that we had a great herd of cattle, that we had several enterprises, because I'm a big believer in not just relying on one industry on my ranch to make money. We have to have several different money sources on the operation. So I wanna make sure that they realize that I have tried my best to leave this in a financial situation, like Dogan said, that we don't have to struggle. And I, don't get me wrong, there's gonna be times when there's ice and there's droughts and all that, but the, that, there, that there's still enough resources here on this land to survive. So go ahead, your turn. <laughs> Well, I, I just, I just see it this way is I'm not afraid to change or to try things that I think is going to be the ranch and it's going to go against the norms of the coffee shop and everything else. So um, I am how I want to be seen as a person that, and, and in all the practices I've been doing the last few years, I had a lot of people come in and help me because they want to see me fail. They want to come and show me, I told you Dugan, making these changes I told you going to trying to do grass-fed beef. I told you trying to do May calving. I told you trying to do all this stuff. And then at the end of the year, they're saying, well, how, 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 how'd you get started? And changing, I think that's the best way to do it through example, is showing people that change is only in your head and, and, it's, and it's just a mindset. So um, all my friends and neighbors, think I'm crazy a lot of times with the things I do, but slowly and surely you go look at their ranches and they're making the changes and doing it and doing it successfully. So that's how I see my, I don't necessarily try to be a role model. I just try to do things for my ranch that are going to make it sustainable and profitable. And if people can, and, and I'm willing to help people. So don't make the mistakes I made. Don't do the things I did. If you have questions I will surely definitely help people so that's kind of how I want to do it you know there's a saying when I went to the ranch for profit that says if you if you always do if you how is it if you always uh anyways I can't remember but it, it's <laughs> stuck in my head that if you always do things if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got or worse Yes. And I don't want to be our worst. I want to, I want to be able to be adaptable to change. And I don't know how many people are on this call that might have a situation like me where I have a family, my dad in particular, that is pretty much still on the operation and it's us running it together. So it's two generations. It's my dad and myself. And sometimes that change is the most difficult thing for us to do. My dad has bought it. You understand? And I, for example, we use a lot of, we've used a lot of commercial chemicals and I'm personally trying to eliminate as much commercial chemicals we're doing. So how am I going to implement that with my, with my dad's dynamic? We have two different dynamics because I'm, I have this background from TC Ranch Management and I have another background. My dad has a old school background. Well, you always got to be chemicals. You got to spray these weeds immediately. You got to do this. So I think those dynamics are definitely something when it comes, and I'm going back and I always do this, going back to generation, generational ranching. How do you deal with those two dynamics? And that's what we deal with every day on a daily basis on this ranch. And I'll be like, okay, why don't we just test plot this little area here the way I want to do it? And you know, you do your area and let's just compare. Mm -hmm. So slowly I'm trying my best to make certain changes that I feel are generational changes to the, even the land, but it's something that I can't do overnight. Right. It's something I cannot, I cannot change my dad's point of view. I have to accept it because I'm blessed enough that he bought the place and I'm able to be here. So that's number one, I have to accept that. But I also have to accept the idea that I need to make changes to keep this soil health and everything. So that is a dynamic that we constantly are having here at the ranch. We could, man, we can go on to so many different directions right now, but I want to honor, there's, we've got some questions. So if you don't mind, let's take some of the uh, participants questions that are out there in Zoom land or in live Facebook land and, and answer those questions. Is that okay with you guys? Mm -hmm. 
And first yes. of all, I just want to, so that this moment doesn't get by, I want you to know that um, I think that you are risk takers. Both of you are risk takers and you have expressed and described how you've taken risk in a very gracious and humble way. And one that's very inspiring. So I just need to get that out on the table now. Okay, here, let's see what some of these questions are. This is from L. Shun. We are first generation ranchers also. We can lease part of our land out at a higher profit margin to someone who will pay top dollar outside the community, or we could support other ranchers within our community. However, they can only afford that what gives us a lower profit margin. It could mean a difference of $30,000 per year. How do you balance supporting the community and less profit to the ranch? Hmm. I think we're both thinking on that one for a minute. Uh -huh. It's a good question. It really is a good question. And um, I'll just give an, a, a little example that I'm working with right now. And it's similar, but maybe not be, not be exactly the same. Um, there's a young lady, older lady, young lady, that's husband passed away last year. And I've been helping her with her operation. She has 200 head of cattle. I've been helping her with our operations since her husband passed away. She called me yesterday and said, Kim, I want to get out the business. I'm not, it's not working for me. So what should I do? I, 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 should I lease it? I don't want to sell it. So we're having that exact operation for a different fold because she just can't manage it since her husband passed away. She can't manage that operation. So we are sitting down looking at the financials of what it would take to sell your cattle, um, what it's going to take to keep that family land there. Is it worth leasing or is it worth, you know, do you want to sell? So I think selling is was one of her options but i think it's a, it's a kind of a personal question issue i suggested to her that i would personally lease it to a young man in the community that is looking to get an agriculture even if you're not making as much money that young man is going to bring so much joy to, and, and money to that community that's my personal opinion just because i know i'm in that generation and i see so many youth that want to be in production agriculture, but they can't afford it, but they could afford a lease land. So mm -hmm. I told her that's what I would do personally, especially if, especially just that person would probably take better care of that land and ask for so much help to be successful because they have that desire. So you have to look at who's going to take care of that land and who has a desire to be in this industry. So I kind of left that to her. Right. And if I can add, I mean, in holistic management, we talk about, and does that fit in with your goals? Right. So what you've described is an, a scenario where, where that would, it, that would fit into what my holistic goal would be for my land mm -hmm. and for my future. Dugan, have you thought about how an answer to that question? Yeah. I think, I think that one's a hard one, um, especially in a ranching. How, how would you support the community and possibly make less. Um, there's other ways to maybe do it. Is 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 like you said. Is is be there for uh, support. Be there as a as as somebody who is is able to help out beginning ranchers, uh, given opportunities. But um, when when I first started out, I did I did do this. I did lease ground when I did was had to lease ground when I wasn't able to, to do this and my goal was I was not leasing to outside um, ranchers I let lease to native ranchers that was wanting to get a start like I did or that had the means for cattle and not other ways so everybody that we leased to in the beginning was a native rancher so that was I knew that our money had to stay within our community to to make it go around and but at the same time, I was not willing to sacrifice my ranch to do that. I wasn't going to sacrifice myself not making the money I needed in order to, to do that. So, um, but I wasn't trying to price gouge either. I wasn't, I wasn't out there to, you know, so I, I, I made it affordable for them and made it to where I was still making money. 
but I made sure that I helped out a local rancher, especially a native rancher that was within our reservation. So um, I started out doing that. And how we're trying to support the community is, you know, we, we support families through giving them extra meat we have, um, supporting our, our local activities. We, we donate, even though a lot of times our ranch ain't that profitable, we try to, we try to donate as much as we can into our, our communities. So that, that's how we do it here. And we want to do more of it. Hopefully we're able to do more of it in, in the years to come. Great. Here's a question from Brian Bean uh, for Dugan. If your land base is leased, have you considered establishing a separate company to sell grass-fed and finished beef? Not a huge setup cost, but could generate significantly greater revenue and more predictable profitability. That's what we are doing with this 10 head. We're, we're kind of putting a, a toe into it of direct marketing our own cattle. Um, so yes, we, and that's the route we want to go. We, we see that there is uh, good profits in the grass-fed um, um, meats. So we are starting the, that venture here within probably the next month. Um, so we, we are going to start that and hope, and, and we see the great profits and returns on it. And hopefully what it's going to lead to, and, and we have discussions here on our ranch is, is do similar to what Kimber is doing is we're going to, we're going to hopefully start a, a meat processing plant so that we can uh, utilize that ourselves um, because it is so hard in South Dakota and, and it's everywhere, but the distances you got to travel in South Dakota to get a USDA certified um, plant, meat processing plant, you got to drive hundreds of miles to, to get there. So that's one, one thing that our ranch is looking at doing. Um, me and my brothers are looking at possibly doing that here in the next year or so to get that another enterprise for the ranch. Okay. Along those lines, and then I'm coming back to you, Kimberly, it is uh, from uh, Ms. Russell, Jylene, Russell, is Dugan aware of advantages of funding a mobile slaughter operation to operate within the reservation, such as the mobile Mantaza, Mantaza in northern New Mexico? You know anything? I, I don't know anything about that. Um, I know that there's other people that are looking at doing uh, mobile plants here, but they're they're mainly just looking at doing local beef, and it's not not to try to do any any type of marketing of their own beef. They're they're just using it as a yeah and uh, sorry, baby. Uh, yeah, and 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 the, and the uh, venison and everything else that they're going to use theirs for. What I'm looking for is hopefully using our slaughter plant for that grass fed beef, that that higher end uh, cut out of meat that can make us money. And still, I understand you, you'll probably have to take customer beef in and make that work, but um, that we've looked into the mobile plant and, and that might be the route we go that because the mobile plant might be the most economical and just look at freezers and cooler space as, as the biggest thing to, to do that. So yeah, that's all things that we're looking at is right now is, is putting our business plan together. So Kimberly, do you, uh, a question from Ross McDonald, do lenders use minority access to credit in their annual reporting? Is there an opportunity for bank shareholders to help drive that? They, they really don't have any database whatsoever. Um, I, was on, I was on a meeting with the Federal Reserve recently for my minority advisory board. We had a meeting with the Federal Reserve and that was one of the main thing is why aren't they mandating that there's some kind of um, data given out to other banks to let them know the demographics of their loans. I think that would help tremendously on access to capital, but it is not a mandate. Not, and part of it could be um, legally, can you ask? Um, and it might be some legal issues within there, but there still needs to be some way to get some kind of demographics. If they can get it off a of census, they can get it off of us somehow, some way. Um, so there really isn't anything. If it is, it's internal within the bank itself. It's not shared 
to the Federal Reserve. Okay. So it's right. definitely needed. Okay. So we're real close to the end of our time and I, I wanna ask a couple more questions. And, you know, we, we talked about this Justice for Black Farmers bill. We have Zach Ducheneau, who's just now been the first Native American to be appointed to the um, FSA as head of the FSA. Are these, is it a stupid question to say, are these steps in the right direction? Is it tokenism? Is it, is it meaningful progress? What do you think, each of you think? I think they're all qualified. So I don't think it's, to I think it's just that they haven't put us in the arena of even being accepted for these type of um, positions. Got it. Um, I think it's important because I think a lot of our issues have never really but put up forefront. And this is an opportunity for some of these issues to be forefront um, than before. So yes, it's a great step in the right direction, um, my personal opinion. And again, I think there's just like anything else when you don't, and I, and I don't want to compare, it's just like football coaches. You know, how many minority football coaches do you have because you don't put them in the arena? Right. So it's, it's, it's in every single dynamic there. I was just on another call. There's like three CEOs that are black out there and the whole entire, that are minorities in there and, and the whole entire top 500, you know? So it's in every arena we have these issues, but it's about time that we put more people in the pool because you're not putting them in the pool to even give them the interview, to give them the first step to even be accepted to it. So I think this is a great opportunity that we're now being put in the pool to be accepted in these positions. And now we can put our issues out there that were previously just swept under the rug. So forget a seat at the table. We need to be put in the pool. You need we to do. We need to be put in the pool, put our resume in there, just yeah. like everyone else's resume. We're just as qualified and, and give us a sit down interview just like everyone else. Hot damn Vietnam. Okay. Uh, do you, what do you, do you have something to say about that? If you think that those are positive steps forward or? I, yeah, I think it's positive. Kimberly hit it right on the head, you know, and I'm, I'm proud of Zach. Zach's, uh, I know Zach personally, he's from the Shine River Sioux Reservation. So he's part of the tribe here. And I've worked a lot with Zach. So Zach is definitely qualified to run USDA. And he's, he's, or FSA, sorry, yeah. Um, and he is gonna bring change that, he's had an earful from me and a lot of people about the challenges with FSA. So these challenges, Zach's heard for, a lot of years, and it's not going to go through one year and out the other. Hopefully, there's going to be some change coming with this. That Zach is going to that's uh, with Zach being part of the uh, head of the FSA. So, yeah, and he's experienced as a borrower, and he started a, a, a native um, loan program here uh, in the northern uh, states or in the Great Plains area called Akiton that helps uh, start uh, native ranchers, so. So Kimberly and Dugan, how can grass-fed exchange, do you see a role for this organization to support, promote, educate in our programming? Is there, if there was something grass-fed exchange could do regarding this vibrant discussion we've had can you tell us what it might be? Do you have a, a recommendation? Continue these discussions. Continue making awareness of everything we've just been talking about. Um, I think one thing, and, it, and it's hard to do this, I'm always about having producers on a discussion, but also a change maker on it. I'm not saying you guys aren't change makers, but I think when I say a change maker, someone that is um, in an arena that can hear us beyond participants. Got it. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Someone that can actually be like, oh, I, I listened to this presentation. It's great that we have an audience here and I'm that it's listening to us, but if we don't have that person at FSA sitting here or that Federal Reserve person sitting in the audience to hear what we're saying, it's going to be hard to make those changes. That. So I think that's the one thing I would say. We have to do more discussions like this, but we have to bring everyone in on the table. Yeah. Okay. 
Dugan. What can I you best, do? <clears throat> can, can help is um, more networking, more, um, I was really frustrated when I went to the Rapid City uh, grass-fed um, because I went there looking for to, to get into the grass-fed uh, industry. And the only avenue for me was theirs is the finished. So there is not any possibility for somebody to start up to, to get into the grass-fed that is still not have the ability to get beyond selling their, their calves right off the mom or even the backgrounding. So there's not that, that in between of the factory and the finish. There's nothing there that I seen at the grass exchange that will help that. So if there's more opportunities or, or more people willing to, to come, um, I guess, do you know what I'm kind of saying, Deb, is there's, there's nothing in between there for, for, for guys like me that can't finish or, or that wasn't able to finish at that time and now I am, or if there's somebody looking to want to get into grass-fed beef, into the industry, but can't finish, there is nothing in between. There's no, here's, here's where you can go next, dude, and here's somebody that can help you buy your cattle until, until you're able to retain ownership on a certain percentage of them or something to that effect. So that was the frustrating thing of all the great things I've seen at the uh, Rapid City deal, that was the most frustrating thing. I went there to hopefully network and try to find an opt to get in, and I like I couldn't find nothing. So that was one thing. That speaks to a lot of people, and and I but I'm also taking that concern of yours and that recommendation of yours in the context of the conversation that we've had tonight, and how to apply it across all all people so we're at the end of our time and i want to thank pete bowman is is on the screen right now he was pete and uh, nicole masters uh worked to help bring this body of people together here tonight so that we could all have this rich conversation uh pete you got anything to say you know i i didn't think so but i i, I absolutely have to um <laughs> thank these two you know um what a great, what a great conversation. Um, I think as a board member <clears throat> of the Grass-Fed Exchange, I, I was really happy to hear the so many truths come out. Um, I also was just so impressed um, um, about how both of you shared turning challenges into opportunities. Um, it does give us, I think it's gonna give us some things to think about with the Grass-Fed Exchange. Um, you know, we're not a political organization, but you know, both of you suggested, and maybe we need to think about that. Well, how can we use the grass-fed exchange as a platform for facilitated intentional conversation on creating more opportunity? Um, whether that's done at our annual conferences as breakout sessions, um, I think that we tend to, sometimes we tend to invite leaders in to speak. Maybe we need to start inviting leaders in to listen. So that might be something that we have to think about too, you know? So yeah. that's all I've got to say. I just wanted to thank you both. Um, this was, this is a great session. Yes. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank yes. you. Kimberly. Thank you, Dugan. We're so appreciative of the time tonight. And for all of you that, that may be out there listening, um, uh, we, we want to thank you for joining in on the discussion. And I might not have gotten to all of your questions, but we'll take a look at them and we'll get back with you as we can to make sure that we've answered all of your questions. Next month, at the, this hallway conversation will take place on Wednesday, March the 24th. And we're going to be exploring the topic of how we regenerate, how we regenerate the next generation. There it is again, the next generation how we regenerate the next generation through inspiring them around food production systems. Julie James Ott from the James Ranch in Durango, Colorado, and Megan, now that's how a Texan would say it, okay? Megan is how Texans would say it. Nicole Masters says Megan. So Megan, Megan, if I've goofed up your name, you let me know. But Megan Lannon from Barney Creek Livestock in Paradise Valley, Montana. They will be our two speakers at our next uh, hallway conversation. They have extraordinary short stories to share of transforming paradigms around fun, 
succession and ranch enterprises, multiple ranch enterprises. So, and the co-masters will be moderating that session. And I can tell you, I can already hear Cindy Lauper singing out, belting out, girls just wanna have fun. I think that will be the theme song for next hallway conversation. But again, thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Dugan. Um, appreciate you, Pete. Thanks for all the people behind the scenes that made this work. We'll have a good night, everybody. Thank you.